Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we will be exploring the theme of violence in Harry Potter. To get us started, we are going to share a quote from the Prisoner of Azkaban. This quote comes from near the end of the book when they're in the Shrieking Shack, and Harry still believes that Sirius Black murdered his parents, and he's thinking about how he wants to react to that. (laughs) And Sirius does not dissuade him from thinking that he murdered his parents. Yes, exactly. This is right after Sirius's infamous there will only be one murder tonight line, which really helps clarify things. Yeah, think Sirius. All Harry knew was that he wanted to hurt Black as badly as he could and that he didn't care how much he got hurt in return. I think this is a really interesting line because it is so rare for Harry to feel this way to want to cause pain for that to be his his the reason he does anything oftentimes he'll use spells to protect people or because he is in danger or whatever it might be but Mm -hmm. here he's thinking about how he just wants to hurt black and he doesn't care if he's going to get hurt in return or even if his friends hermione and ron who are there with him will get hurt he just wants to cause pain yeah i think there are many forms of violence but i think It does describe one well, which is just from rage and anger. And it's not thought through. Mm. It's just lashing out because of the emotions that you're experiencing and not really thinking about the consequences of those actions. Or even if you actually agree with those actions, you know, Mm. because he doesn't. And once Lupin comes in and actually helpfully explains some things (laughs) and he learns more... He does have this other person now in front of him, Peter Pettigrew, that actually did cause or lead to the murder of his parents. He doesn't take the same action anymore. He was able to take a step back and then he's like, no, I don't think my parents will want me to be a murderer, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think I think there are some instances where Harry does feel intense anger or rage. I mean, at the end of book five, after Sirius dies and he's just like throwing Dumbledore's nice artifacts and Mm. whatever he has in his office, just like throwing them and shattering them around. Like, so I think he does have those moments of being really angry and wanting sometimes to hurt people or do something destructive. But yeah, usually he doesn't carry through into actions. Exactly. And that even brings to mind how powerful the emotions that he gets from Voldemort are, which are about wanting to cause pain and and Mm -hmm. how scary that is for him. Yeah. And also, I mean, (laughs) growing up with the Dursleys, I'm sure he didn't learn how to appropriately and in a healthy manner manage his own emotions. I mean, he didn't have that modeled for him at all. People throw things at him, people yell at him, people throw him in cupboards. Yeah, the fact that he was so well-adjusted as an 11-year-old boy is just... I mean, he's not very well-adjusted, but he's also a miracle at the same time. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Like, he has issues, for sure, but, like, compared to the issues he could have had growing up in the circumstances he did, yes, he is a very impressive person. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing about this quote that that struck me on this rereading was how Sirius is referred to as black, and it reminded me about how... At this point in the story, he's always, almost always referred to as black. 
mm-hmm. and not as serious. And in thinking about this through the theme of violence, it made me think about how it's so much easier to be violent against those who we dehumanize, mm-hmm. who we don't give mm-hmm. humanity or personality to. And we don't really have that in, for serious yet. And by the end of the series, we obviously get that. And, and for us rereading this and being so familiar with the series that we have a podcast about it, <laughs> we think of him as serious. And so I think that... It's interesting just as a kind of subtextual element of seeing how Harry doesn't see him as a full person yet mm-hmm. or as an individual person. Yeah, there's this distance there, yeah. which theoretically would make it easier to be violent when there is that distance. Unfortunately, that's not the case for people out there. But... Of course. And as you mentioned with the Dursleys, Harry's experiences either. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, I am very intrigued to hear what character you brought to discuss today. So I wanted to talk about Draco Malfoy. Okay. Because I think he probably has the most interesting relationship with violence in Harry Potter, at least to me. Mm. It's really fascinating how his relationship with violence transforms from Mm. book one to book seven. And I think it really goes from, like, inflicting violence to receiving violence to then stopping violence. Obviously, he starts his journey in the books (laughs) being a real little butt. (laughs) You know, he he starts with inflicting, right? And, And there are only really a couple times where there's any physical fights that happen between Mm -hmm. him and anyone else. And honestly, all of those times, he doesn't actually start the physical violence, I don't think. You know, we have Neville jumping on him. (laughs) We have Hermione slapping him. We have Harry attacking him. But most of his violence is done through words. Mm. And even though he has Crabbe and Goyle there, they are there for the purpose of a threat of violence. Mm. But... They never actually attack any of the students. He's never like, oh, go beat up that kid that, you know, we ever hear anything about. And so, yeah, I think it's it's interesting that they're just there for the threat rather than the actual carrying out of violence. And so he uses his words to enact violence by obviously touting racist mm-hmm. and classist, etc. ideas, which is definitely horrible and damaging and unacceptable Mm -hmm. at the same time i find it interesting that i've I've realized in my past reread that draco's words often don't match his actions Hmm. in the chamber of secrets you know they take polyjuice potion they go into the slytherin dorms and they're hearing him talking about things and He's like, oh, well, last time the chamber was opened, somebody died. And as for me, I hope it's Granger this time. Obviously terrible. Yeah. Yet at the World Cup, it's really fascinating because this terrorist attack towards muggles is going on. And the trio run into Draco as they're running away. And he basically says, oh, don't you want to be moving along? You know what they're doing out there to the muggles. Hermione, I think you'd be worried. And obviously he's still doing this in a sort of taunty way. Mm -hmm. But he's if he really wanted her to be hurt by the Death Eaters, he wouldn't tell her that, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think, yeah, sometimes the things that he says don't add up with the things he actually does. 
Not that it makes it any better for what he says, that is still bullying and, and violent that way. But then I think the next part of his journey with violence is, I mean, he still is inflicting some <laughs> for sure, but he, I think he's also receiving some. And I was noticing that like violence is done to him multiple times at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. So we have Buckbeak that situation which yeah people are like oh well he didn't listen and he was like being rude to it but still he was put in harm's way and this thing happened which would be scary and could have killed him Mm -hmm. you know and then in book four pseudo moody turns him into a ferret and bangs him around the hallway actually like running him into walls and the floor and stuff yeah which is just absolutely (laughs) unacceptable and then in book six harry almost murders him Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then throughout that the only person who actually seems to think that that's wrong is hermione Mm. um i mean i think harry definitely does feel bad for sectumsempra and that wasn't his intention and he doesn't he wouldn't have used it if he had known what it would do but still he is still not exactly defending himself but letting other people defend him Mm -hmm. and she's the only one who's saying like this is terrible and she also said that with moody turning him into a ferret like he could have gotten really hurt you know she's the only one who seems to care about these things at least with moody and, and harry there are no repercussions for that being done to him yeah And then we move into book six, which, I mean, we mentioned Harry in the bathroom, but, like, book six is, like, the height of Draco's character, and I think it's also the height of his interaction with violence. So early on in book six, you know, basically every Hogwarts Express ride, he comes into Harry's compartment (laughs) and is like, ah, let's taunt them, or let's, for some reason he needs to make make an appearance (laughs) yeah i mean he's been waiting all summer to To see see harry Harry. exactly yeah and he He can't wait any longer no no he has to figure (laughs) out i mean it's not like he could owl him because he would be too embarrassed to do that so he has to come in and yeah cause trouble imagine all the the scribbled notes that have been thrown (laughs) into the trash (laughs) oh they haven't been thrown into the trash they've been incendiated Can't leave any evidence. Yeah. (laughs) One or the other. I'm sure there's both in all sorts of fanfic. (laughs) But in book six, he does not go into their compartment. Mm -hmm. Harry goes to find him because he's like, oh no, I haven't seen Draco yet. (laughs) (laughs) Harry couldn't wait any longer. (laughs) And and then at the end of that failed (laughs) excursion of Harry's, Draco breaks its nose Mm -hmm. and that's the first time he like really does violence to someone physical violence yeah without being attacked first then he hurts several people in the attempt to kill Dumbledore but also interestingly the only person he confides in Myrtle is dead Hmm. and was killed by the very chamber and the violence against muggles that he was in favor of and it's while he's at that site that Harry almost kills him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just really fascinating. I, I feel like, oh, I could just like sit there and like analyze that a lot. <laughs> but to continue moving on, finally in that book, we find out about these 
threats on his and his family's life, and that's why he was doing these things. But he enables a lot of violence to happen at Hogwarts, even though some of it he didn't intend. Like, he didn't know Fenrir was going to come, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have wanted Fenrir to come. Then when it comes down to it, he still doesn't kill Dumbledore. And then I think in the last book is really where we see a big change as well at Malfoy Manor. He had the opportunity to turn them in and obviously violence would have occurred from that. He, he could have taken part in that, mm-hmm. which would be the kinds of thing he would, as you mentioned, threaten them with mm-hmm. the previous six years. Absolutely. But he did not do that, even though that's putting himself at so much more risk of violence. Mm -hmm. Because whatever happened to Harry's face, that spell was not going to hold, and he knew that. But he put himself in violence's way to not, not turn him in. And then, finally, at the room of requirement, he goes to try to get his wand back. Crab and Goyle are there, and... Crab has unfortunately gotten way into the dark arts. And multiple times Draco screams at Crab to stop. Once is when he's trying to topple a pile of stuff onto Ron. Mm. A different time he's trying to crucio Harry. A different time he's sending Avada Kedavra at Hermione and at Harry. And like every time he starts to try to do these violent things. Draco yells at him to stop. And through yelling at him to stop, he even gets disarmed again because he's not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And so Harry disarms both him and Goyle, and he loses his mom's wand then, Mm -hmm. which puts him at great risk with Fiendfire as well as after when he's almost killed by a Death Eater just in the Battle of Hogwarts. So yeah, I think it's really interesting that we get little glimpses through Harry into Draco's experience at the manor with Voldemort there being forced to torture Raoul or be tortured or probably killed and also being there when Charity Burbage is murdered and Mm -hmm. then eaten by Najini and even in the room of requirement once Fiendfire has been released into the room Goyle had been knocked out and he drags his body along mm. and gets it up onto the top of this tower of desks while, you know, everything's burning, which is significantly endangering his life. Mm-hmm. And he would have died because of that if Harry hadn't come back. So, yeah, I just I think he's a really fascinating character, just like going from inflicting a lot of violence, claiming to want violence. To being unraveled by the fear of violence mm. against him and his family. And even though he knows killing Dumbledore is like the only thing to ensure his self-preservation. He just can't do it. And then in the end, he, he is actively stopping violence and um, prioritizes Harry and Hermione and Ron and Goyle above himself. So I think of any of the characters, I think he actually has, yeah, just this really interesting relationship with violence. I absolutely agree. And you trace out a really interesting genealogy of how he changes in how he interacts with violence throughout. One of the things that I was also thinking of was how, well, for one, we don't get a lot of interiority of Draco. Mm -hmm. We only 
arguably have two scenes where he isn't performing for Harry at the very least. Yeah. Where we see him in the the first chapter of book seven when the Death Eater meeting is happening at his place and he's just kind of a spectator there, obviously under threat of violence. Mm -hmm. But then we see him on the tower with Dumbledore and Harry's Mm -hmm. still invisible and so he doesn't know he's there. Well, and we see him with Myrtle. And with Myrtle. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, and so these very few scenes we get to see a little bit more about what's kind of going on inside of him. Yeah, it just raises a lot of interesting questions. Uh, and I think why he is, when I think of fan fiction, he's <laughs> like the character that he's comes the to character, mind. right. Because it would be so fascinating to think about things from his perspective. And I especially think about him as someone who comes from a culture of violence. Mm-hmm. He comes from a, f- a family, as we talked about in the family episode, that is violent and racist and classist and all these other kinds of things who have maintained their power through violence, through Mm -hmm. lynching, essentially, and an attempted fascist coup during the rise of Voldemort the first time. Yeah. And again, the second time. And who models violence towards Dobby. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And who I imagine in some ways idolizes violence, where violence must be a crucial component to the way they view the world and the way in the way that they keep power mm-hmm. and that violence is sometimes systemic and sometimes interpersonal but it's it's this idea of yeah the world cup we have to show this violence and we have to create this violence against muggles not just for our own amusement but i think as you mentioned as a form of terrorism mm-hmm. well and also the ideals of his family can only be realized through violence mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes me see him as the possible, like a a possible reading of his story as someone who was raised in this culture of violence, who gained his power and prestige through violence, and who believes in power generally as a defining characteristic. I think that, as you mentioned, him having Crabbe and Goyle there as that threat of violence is not about him wanting to use violence. It's about him maintaining power. Mm Mm-hmm. Yet, as in particular book six, when he has to use violence, when he's tasked to use violence and threatened with violence himself if he doesn't, he turns from it in really interesting ways. He is unique in a character who turns from it because there are plenty of people who grow up in these kinds of cultures of violence and when the opportunity comes for them to commit violence, they do it. Mm-hmm. Look at Crabbe and Goyle. But he turns from it. And, and I also wonder how much that is because his task to kill Dumbledore is a task put on him individually, where he has threat of violence over him, but it's up to him to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that takes away this kind of mob mentality. Usually when you see lynchings and other kinds of systemic power-based violence, they are done through a form of mob mob violence. Not always, but for the most part. And... That's not the way his violence is is being carried out. It has to be thought out and done on his own in many, many ways. And that, I think, might have an impact into why he has that that opportunity to turn away from that violence. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, linking back to the quote we started with, these intense emotions that Harry was feeling Mm. and that leading him to want to do violence, that's not the situation for Draco. You know, he can complain about Dumbledore, but he doesn't have these intense feelings of hatred and loathing. Yeah. 
and being tasked to kill someone when, I mean, hopefully would always be horrifying, but when you don't even have those feelings. Yeah. And in, in this regard, like, not in the same way, but like, I can relate just a small amount as I was a, I'm not super, but like, I was a little bit of a physically violent child mm. towards my sisters, mainly. Yeah, I mean, part of it did have to do with power and this gap of of age. Well, and then having kind of a fascination with weaponry and stuff like that to then becoming a pacifist, mm. you know, it's just a very different place than I started out. And so I can sympathize a bit with his journey, even though thankfully I was not taught to be as vile as he was. Well, and also, interestingly, like we mentioned in, in the, the family episode, if you look at subtle cues, in, subtle and not so subtle cues in, in the movies, it's, it's very clear that he would have been physically abused mm. as well at home. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like you think of Drake and you're like, oh, what a terrible little child, <laughs> little tyrant. But I think he by the end it's like wow i'm really proud of him you know that character like that change is really significant and to have that change happen and hold even in the highest stakes scenario it could Mm. be in an actual battle in a war absolutely and as you just mentioned he's a child and we've talked about in the past how harry is a child and how that makes so many of his choices and his actions that much more admirable and powerful. The same can be said for Draco. Mm-hmm. hmm And I think there is something to be said, too, about Harry, even though he grew up in a terrible home, he still went to public school. And I really doubt that <laughs> Draco went to any school that wasn't some sort of elite private tutor coming (laughs) you know and so like his interactions and his experience with the world was so much more narrow than harry's was versus draco was he ever able to interact with someone who didn't believe the things his parents believed yeah absolutely which again doesn't excuse it but it gives understanding Mm -hmm. but i guess we should move on to your point what is your plot point Yeah, so I want to talk about Harry's use of magic, and in particular the spells Mm. that come to define him. Because when you think of Harry, and and this becomes textual, the spells that really come to mind are Patronus and Expelliarmus. And I think that that is really interesting, because magic as it's presented here, even though it is a child's series, particularly as you go through to the end of the series, you see how magic has this immense capacity and potential for violence mm-hmm. where there's in some ways the the laws against underage use of magic and things like these are meant because children cannot control this this potential just yet and they need to go to school to be able to learn this and with the dark arts this potential really being realized but harry of all the spells and all the things that he learns he really sticks to these two spells, and they become ones that not only he uses throughout the series, but that other characters in the series see him using and start to make characteristic of him. Patronus being a literal shield charm, 
and it's a shield specifically against despair, specifically mm-hmm. against hopelessness and depression and utilizing good memories and positive feelings and community in particular to create a shield that protects you and others from this darkness. I think that that's really amazing. And we see how Patronus becomes something that he gets respect for when Mm -hmm. he's on trial. The fact that he can use a Patronus is something that makes Madame Bones and other folks really impressed Mm -hmm. and I think helps to sway them. Why would he be lying? Why would he just make a Patronus? But the fact that he can make a Patronus shows that there's some some potential and some interesting things, things there. But it's also an outcome of his own history and the fact that he has particularly been targeted by these forces of despair, by the Dementors. Yeah. And he he is particularly susceptible to them because he's experienced traumas that many others have not. Mm-hmm. And so he has been put in positions where he's had to do whatever he can to learn how to fight off and, and protect himself and others from these dangers. And so, yeah, I think that that having the Patronus be something that he becomes proud of, something that he gets notoriety and and admiration for from, you know, the highest officials in the magical world when he's still a teenager is bittersweet in a way because it's great that he's able to get this notoriety for something that is, is really giving and is really protective and nurturing and is tied to community, as we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. But... Well, and even the... Death Eaters know that his Patronus is a stag. Like, yes, exactly. this is information that they know. Precisely. So that's like, I think the sweeter part, but the bitter part is that it comes from this, this history of trauma and this history of need to have that kind of protective ability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other spell that he's well known by, especially by the Death Eaters, is of course Expelliarmus. So much so that him using it in the flight from number four private drive gives away which of the potters he is yeah so like who else in this situation would use expelliarmus exactly that it's become like his spell and it is a spell that as a disarming spell you could argue is about taking away the tool that others will use for violence Mm -hmm. and as a pacifist it's just my favorite thing in the world it's really great (laughs) and I, I think that that's something that is more talked about and discussed, and so I won't spend a ton of time on it. Totally, but yeah. when we're talking about violence in Harry Potter, it's something that we for sure need to touch on because, yeah, he in many ways becomes defined by this this spell that is about the turning away from violence. Even when you're faced with a killing curse, like yeah. this is what you're going to do. It's not to attack, it is to disarm. Yeah. And both times he goes up against Voldemort, that's what he uses. Mm-hmm. And you could argue the first time he doesn't know a ton. And that's one of the spells he does know. By the time of the last book, he had taught the DA stupefy mm-hmm. these other these other spells. So he was well equipped with them. Can you imagine him using the tickling charm on Voldemort? <laughs> <laughs> All the Death Eaters are like, what's happening? He's laughing in a not creepy way. Which is actually pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. It's even more terrifying. <laughs> But I I can't because I also think that in those momentary decisions, I don't know if it is entirely a decision on Harry's part 
where many times it will be in the heat of the moment, this is the spell that comes to his mind. This is the mm-hmm. spell that he's going to use. And he uses it well. And, and it's just, yeah, I think a really, really great example of, of Harry's character. And that also puts him at odds against Voldemort. Because Voldemort, in many ways, is really trying to manifest violent control of the world. And Harry is about protection and freedom. And love. And love, yeah. And I think that that's really, yeah, just just really, really powerful. When we were talking about the, the quote earlier, one of the things that came to mind based off what you were talking about was how violence often has a cost. And I think in Harry Potter, in the series, in particular, murder has a direct cost where Voldemort loses parts of his soul and he's able to manipulate that in ways to create horcruxes. But anyone who murders loses part of their soul in that destructive act. It is destructive mm-hmm. both of the person and of themselves and their, their soul. And Voldemort is happy to utilize that. And Harry is the victim of so much of this. He is literally housing part of Voldemort's soul. But he still chooses to use magic that doesn't have that personal cost. So by the end of the books, he is a whole person. And he is able to stand against Voldemort as a whole person, as a person committed to himself and his community. And he couldn't be that person if he had resorted more to violence than mm. than the times that he does do in the book. Well, and you saying that after Voldemort has killed that other piece of himself mm-hmm. in Harry, that, yeah, in, in the final, in the Great Hall, when they face each other, he's whole, and he still chooses to use Expelliarmus. Yeah. Whereas before, it's not showed this in the text, but people could could throw out ideas like, well, maybe he is compelled to use this less harmful thing against Voldemort because that's the other part of the soul. Interesting. You know? But like, once no part of Voldemort is in him anymore, yet he, he still does this. Yeah. And... He destroys these horcruxes. He makes these plans with Dumbledore, knowing that he will be the person who... That that either he or Voldemort will destroy one another. And so he's Mm -hmm. coming in this kind of cognizant. But he still chooses, at that moment, to use Expelliarmus. And that it is Voldemort's killing curse that ultimately leads to his death. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, he gave him a chance. Mm Mm-hmm. Where he said, this is your last chance like to stop this tom riddle (laughs) (laughs) the audacity is amazing like even after everything he had been through even after all of the grief and suffering that voldemort had caused not only him but those he loved and everyone in the uk and possibly beyond he still gave him the opportunity to voluntarily lay down his weapon and stop and change but him refusing to do so he still chooses to also disarm exactly it's not like well you didn't choose this so now i can feel okay about killing you Mm -hmm. yeah but it's also not saying it's up to you my hands are off off this it's saying i will disarm you Mm -hmm. if you don't if you choose not to disarm yourself i'm not going to kill you but i'm still going to actively stop your violence Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Because that's the other thing about Expelliarmus is that it is still active. You know, it reminds me of, it's not a one-to-one metaphor, obviously, but there's a difference between not being racist and being Mm anti-racist. 
Mm. One is an active thing. And disarming is an active thing where he is seeing violence and he is doing what he can to stop that. Yeah. Oh, I love Harry. Harry's great. But we should move on. (laughs) Yes. Well, I have a compelling question for you. And it is, what concepts surrounding violence in Harry Potter are most intriguing to you or raise questions for you? Interesting. The first thing that comes to mind, based off of our discussion of Draco, is where we see systemic violence in Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Because when we think of violence, so often we are so focused on the interpersonal forms of violence, which are obviously traumatic and awful. But the systemic violence, I think there's, particularly coming from my perspective as an American privileged (laughs) person who... An American man. Man, yeah, white passing, you know, all the things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I recognize that my existence is predicated on systemic violence that has led to this country and this society existing the way it does and my place in it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about that in Harry Potter and thinking about, we hear about the Goblin Wars Mm -hmm. and we hear about the Wars of the Giants and these other kinds of ways in which even the Ministry of Magic before Voldemort was shown in this triumphant conquest kind of way. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the same kind of you know, colonialism, I think, that that you see in, in American history. But it is still something that is predicated on the violence used to subjugate and continue the subjugation of people deemed other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that you could read Harry Potter through a lens where you see that Voldemort and the Death Eaters are trying to exert this same kind of systemic violence onto a new population, a population that has been incorporated into the magical world in a way through Muggleborns, and thus has a sense of legitimacy, even if there is still discrimination in these other types of things. But yeah, it's just, I, I can't imagine that, that that does not exist in this world's history. Absolutely. And we don't see much of it. And it makes... Maybe maybe Binns was trying to teach about that, so that's all they ever study is goblin rebellions. (laughs) He's trying to... He's trying to, like, tell them. (laughs) Why did they feel the need to rebel? Because we were awful We were awful. I was there. (laughs) It was bad. But yeah, I, I, I wonder if there is a rewriting of their own history that portrays Voldemort as an aberration, an, an abnormality. Rather than a particularly vicious and violent representation of the systemic violence that exists, just through the way that their society is structured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you share what what you were thinking? Yeah. So one of the concepts of violence that's really interesting to me is the unforgivable courses, mm. and that all of them are violent. Mm-hmm. So there's some spells that can be used for violent things. Some type of cutting spell, right? You could use that on a person, but you could also use it to cut this cantaloupe in half or whatever. But each of them is doing violence to another person, Mm. obviously with killing, with torturing, and with overriding consent. 
And also we have when Harry tries to use <laughs> a couple of those on Bellatrix, she says, you have to mean it. Mm-hmm. And that's bringing in this idea of intention. And that's, it's just a really interesting, like, does violence have to be intentional? Think of like a car accident, potentially crushing someone else is a very violent thing to happen, but we don't talk about it in those terms if it was an accident, you know? Mm. And there's a bunch of medical treatments, whether it's like getting a shot or chemotherapy or something that's doing violent things to the body, but we don't call that violence because, again, the intention isn't there. We also, in, in the books, would have an example of like Snape killing Dumbledore. That was prearranged, that wasn't an intentional violent act. It was something different, right? And so, yeah, I don't know. I think having that element be attached to some of these spells um, does bring up some interesting questions. The fact that Harry did almost kill Draco with Sectumsempra, would he have been able to if he didn't have some type of violent, like, anger mm. feeling? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, his only intention was it's for an enemy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I think the intention and, and spells and violence is very interesting. Also, with the Unforgivable Curses, there is this amazing fan artist that did fan art of the different curses, mm-hmm. which I will put in the show notes, which I'll, I'll have a link to uh, because they're quite amazing. On the un- Unforgivable Curses, though, we don't know a ton about the laws of the magical world. But it seems, through that, the little that we do know, that laws are based more on spells you cast rather than the outcomes of those spells. Because the unforgivable curses are illegal. It's not killing someone with a curse is illegal, which is probably true as well, but that's mm-hmm. not how it's, it's situated in the text. Mm-hmm. And so if Draco had died due to Sectumsempra, would Harry have been tried in a less intense manner than if he had used a vatted cadavera yeah because you know harry gets in trouble for using the levitating charm and the mm-hmm. patronus when he's a kid and then we hear about the unforgivable curses those are the curses that we know are illegal but you see a lot less you know someone did something that was i guess you see more of that through arthur's work people are getting in trouble because they've done weird spells to muggle artifacts Mm-hmm. But outside of that, yeah, it's just, it's interesting to me because there are curses that do those same things to a lesser extent as the unforgivable curses, where we see mm-hmm. violence and pain and the taking of away of consent, the curses that make you giggle or dance or love potions, and that they're mostly seen as jokes in the book. Yeah, but are actually really terrible. I mean, particularly the love potions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, it makes me definitely wonder more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else were you thinking about, though? I was also thinking about Harry's scar as this site of violence mm-hmm. and how at the beginning of the book, like, the only thing Harry liked about his appearance was this scar. Supposedly he'd gotten it from a car accident, right? But he didn't know anything about it, and then he learns about it. And it comes from this incredibly violent act and a violence that continues because it made him a horcrux right Mm. yet for others looking at him it's like this symbol of hope because he survived the killing curse and Mm. he got rid of Voldemort 
Yeah, it's just, it's such an interesting and really potentially really sad that he has to wear his trauma on his face and people stare at it and people point and you're not choosing to share this trauma with people you trust. It's yeah. just, it's there um, and it's constantly made a spectacle. And and the book mentions a couple times when he tries to put his hair over it and, mm-hmm. and, and tries to hide it in those kinds of ways because he... He doesn't does. like everyone just staring at it. Exactly. Yeah. No. I have some random other thoughts that okay. don't have to be long discussions, but I was like thinking about Dementors and if they inflict violence, hmm. like they're taking something from someone, but also it's like, can they exist in any other way, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of making me think of like, we as consumers, aren't we kind of like Dementors, you know? Like we get our happiness through the blood, sweat, and tears of others, mostly in other countries, but some here too, Oof, you know? Yeah. Right? Like, aren't we the Dementors? We are the Dementors. Yeah, I know. Happy thoughts. I'm my own Dementor, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um... Also, I was thinking about, like, what does it mean to have ghosts around Hogwarts? Mm. There's all of these kids here, and they, like, see the bloody Baron who, like, killed, is, like, irresponsible and why there's another ghost in the castle, you know? And, like, what does that mean for Slytherin? It's like, oh, your ghost is this murderer. And then, like, Ravenclaws, oh, their ghost killed ours. And then you have Sir Nicholas. Nearly beheaded. Nearly beheaded. And like, you know, you just have all of this around and and how that affects students and their understanding or interaction with death and things like that. Absolutely. Um, And then I was also thinking about, I consider bullying a type of violence. And so I'm wondering, like, are pranks Hmm. a type of violence? And therefore, the Weasley's wizard wheezes. And I'm I'm thinking about, too, in, in the first book. Neville comes hopping into Gryffindor common room because the leg lock, mm-hmm. you know, jinx had been put on him. And everybody's laughing. And then he's like, oh, Malfoy did this to me. And then they're like all mad on his behalf. But like the first they were laughing, yeah. you know. So where is that line between bullying and pranks and violence? Fred and George give Neville a canary cream without telling him what it does and mm-hmm. he erupts into this giant canary and you know after he molts and <laughs> comes back to his own body you know he joined in in the laughing but like why was he the first one totally. so yeah that those were some of the thoughts i was having yeah but what about your question for me how do you feel about the use of violence in education particularly in defense against the dark arts I mean, that's the thing with some of the spells, like you were talking about before, legislation against specific spells or against specific outcomes. Mm-hmm. Well, something like the Killing Curse, there is no block to that spell, and it has one purpose. Whereas a different spell could be used to kill someone, but could also be used to do something completely benign, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think some spells should be taught because they have all sorts of uses. But primarily, I like the word defense, Mm -hmm. (laughs) being a pacifist. And I wish there were more of those spells. Where are, like, (laughs) the other sorts of Patronus spells? You know, like other types of shields. Protego, and that's it. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's it's a hard call because you want people to be prepared if other people will use things you know why people take self-defense classes right but also you're teaching people mm-hmm. spells because it's not like the teacher is just attacking the students <laughs> and they have to defend them themselves yeah i think i think it gets complicated i think there's also violence in education we could also talk about moody doing or well Brady crouch jr doing the unforgivable curses in front of students we could talk about divination and all of the terrible violent things they predict could happen to each other and things like that i also wonder about transfiguration Mm -hmm. like that's violent in a certain way to this rat's body that's turned into a teacup but like its tail is still twitching around and stuff you know and so yeah i um interestingly in in potions i'm not sure if snape actually teaches them to do any potions that can like i don't remember them ever learning how to make any poisons Mm. they learn how to make antidotes and he subtly drops hints that maybe he'll (laughs) use one and you have to check and to see if the antidote works which obviously he never does but yeah that's kind of interesting because obviously snape can be abusive in class but in terms of the actual things he's teaching it seems like it's less violent than some of the other classes Mm. i don't know what were you thinking yeah a lot of that although those are really really interesting thoughts one of the things I was thinking about was defense against creatures that are considered dark, be they grindylows or werewolves or pixies or whatever else it might be. They are seen as something to be defended against, often through violent means, where they're not learning protego, they're learning the spells that are going to be painful to those well, potentially I don't, I don't even know if we know exactly it's like we know that they deal with grindylos but we don't know what they actually do well the one time that we see I mean, it is when harry shoots a jet of warm bubbles i think in the, in the bottom of the lake yeah i, I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. element and, and you know talking about systemic violence is also certainly othering certain folk certain yeah. creatures as things that needed to be defended against which is also like lupin being one of those quote-unquote creatures Mm -hmm. then teaching this is also an interesting look at maybe internalized um creatureism (laughs) whatever (laughs) we want to call it totally Um, but also yeah if you are walking down the lane and are attacked by something it would be nice to know hopefully without causing it harm how to not just get bitten poisoned or you know whatever Mm -hmm. happened not to drown uh yeah and, and I think that that's another interesting element is that it's something I mentioned earlier was how magic has this capacity for violence, this great capacity for violence, and how all these students have intense capacity for violence. And, and certainly the world around them, even without Death Eaters and Voldemort, have great capacity for violence. And mm-hmm. so it makes sense that there would be this this need for these kinds of classes as well. Uh, I think Septum Semper is actually a really interesting example of this because it's a spell that Harry learns but isn't taught. He just reads mm-hmm. it. And because he doesn't have someone there helping him teach it in hopefully a controlled environment, it is something that goes dramatically wrong mm-hmm. and becomes this violent thing that he, he regrets. Mm-hmm. 
And it's also interesting to know that Snape created this Mm -hmm. very violent attack, but he also created the healing spell Mm -hmm. on the other side. I mean, I assume, since it sounded almost like a song, it doesn't sound like just a average healing spell Mm -hmm. you know he certainly knew how to do it in the same way that he also knew how to brew the wolfsbane potion which most people didn't know and did that for for lupin and Mm -hmm. he he created second temper when he was a child and he when he was being bullied and almost murdered yeah so you know there's more complexities there as well Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's just it's interesting to think about curriculum and what is expected to be taught to these students well and then now that's just bringing it into our world which is like curriculum is a source of violence totally yeah and here it's a you know with defense it's it's really made manifest but this made me think of umbridge's decision to teach just from the textbook in a Mm. new light Mm -hmm. um not to say that her teaching is good in (laughs) any way because teaching from a textbook even using a textbook and teaching theory is not the same thing as just having students read something in class. That's not yeah. how, how school works. It's not how education works. But is there an element of, in an ideal society, students wouldn't have to learn defense against the dark arts. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why people who think they live in that ideal society wouldn't want to. It's like you're just basically teaching them how to do violence. Exactly. Yeah. Looking at our society, I've never heard of a public school that does teach self-defense classes as part of the curriculum. Certainly not Mm -hmm. mandatory curriculum. Mm -hmm. I can imagine the kind of uproar that would occur if it was trying to be mandated as part of it. Mm -hmm. But you could say that people might need self-defense classes, right? What, what, what if we talked about how people of color in America would get the ability to learn self-defense because they're targeted by both state and non-state actors through violence? And mm-hmm. that is a fact that their lives are dangerous and they're victimized in these huge numbers. Yet, is teaching violence in schools the way of, of, <laughs> yeah. of even a self-defense, a way of, of protecting that? I honestly don't know. You don't have the answer? I don't. But it, again, it just makes me think of Umbridge's choice in that way in a very different light. Yeah. When you have people hexing each other in the hallways <laughs> while you're like, maybe this isn't a good idea to give children weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then they can run around school when, <laughs> when there are very few teachers and staff. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, dear. I would not want to live in Hogwarts. (laughs) Like, I would want to go, I guess. I mean, I would probably just rather go to a better wizarding school. (laughs) A less dangerous wizarding school. I just don't want to learn the magic. I mean, I just want to go to a school only with Ravenclaws. Let's talk about this theory. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. Yeah, just seeing how violence as you talked about, is utilized in the development of curriculum in societies, but in a world in which so much of that is made manifest through magic that is uncontrollable for many of these young children. They mm-hmm. have the power, and if they don't know how to how to utilize it and control it, what it might be more dangerous, but it just raises all these extra questions. Sounds like you should be on the board of governors with Lucius Malfoy. That sounds great. <laughs> I love me some policies and procedures. (laughs) I would be all up in there. 
Yeah. <laughs> You'd also get threatened, but... True. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, if you want to work in an American school, there could be a mass shooting at any time, unfortunately. That's so unfortunately true, yeah. You would sadly probably be more safe from being on a board with Lucy's Malfoy. Yeah, having, as an educator, having to do active shooter drills yeah. is, yeah, one of the most frightening and disturbing things that I've, I've had to do in my profession, for sure. And it's almost like that should tell policymakers that this is a terrible situation. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we head into our missed opportunities? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about how... I think it's great Harry shows trauma symptoms because of mm. the violence that has happened to him and the violence that he has seen happen to others right in front of him. But also, I feel like it's a real missed opportunity that Hermione and Ron seem to go through the books fairly unaffected. Mm. From the first book, Ron is knocked out by a chess piece and... They don't know if their friend is going to survive. And Ron's almost eaten alive by spiders, something he's already afraid of. So (laughs) I know, doesn't that sound more terrifying than getting knocked out by a chess piece? Ugh, gross. But they they go through all of these different things. Hermione is tortured. Mm. Yeah. Violent and traumatic things have, have happened or has happened to their friend. And... Yeah, that would that would leave an emotional mark that I don't think we see. Absolutely. And even going further back, I wonder how much their parents' generation were traumatized by the war they had to live through. And yeah. we don't really see much of that either. Yes, I totally agree. I think maybe you see it a tiny bit with like Mrs. Weasley has that clock mm-hmm. that says where they all are, and there's one that's peril, <laughs> you know, in danger. In mortal danger, In mortal I think. danger, yeah. yes. <laughs> and her brothers died yeah. as a part of the Order of the Phoenix the first time around, and so maybe you get a little hint here or there, mm-hmm. but for the most part, yeah, you don't have it nearly as much as I think it would show up. Yeah. But what about you? What was your missed opportunity? So I missed opportunity will be brief because we've talked a lot about the unforgivable curses already. But essentially, I think that it's unfortunate that we forgive Harry for using the unforgivable curses because he does use Crucio a couple times. And I think Hermione uses, um, she definitely obliviates people, which isn't mm-hmm. unforgivable, but I think is violent Close. in a really <laughs> way. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that we never really see them grapple with these things that are given to us as unforgivable, that are kind of portrayed that way. Mm-hmm. And because we don't see them grapple, I think that the narrative in some ways kind of does forgive them for it. Harry meant it. Yeah. Harry wanted to commit harm here. And what does that say about what he's going through and how war has affected him and these other kinds yeah. of things? With what I was talking about earlier, where he, he is so defined by these nonviolent spells Mm -hmm. to see him use these kinds of spells and not really engage with the meaning of those and grapple with responsibility for them yeah i just think could have been stronger if we saw a little bit more of that yeah yeah well what is your takeaway from this lengthy conversation (laughs) i think my takeaway when when you were talking about expelliarmus and and the patronus 
as these things that are really symbolic and attached to Harry specifically. Yeah, I'm just, I started thinking about symbolism and how that's connected to violence in the books as well as in our real world. Mm-hmm. When we think of magic is might that statue yeah. at the ministry and that it's depicting this oppressive caste system basically in the magical world and i'm thinking about the the deathly hollows for some people for even victor crumb he was like why mm. is he wearing that that was an affront to him because he had it associated with grindelwald and the terror that he unleashed versus To someone like Harry, this is a symbol of hope. This is a symbol of life because it helped save him. And so I don't always look super symbolically at things as I read through. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm kind of interested to, to see where that coincides with violence. Yeah, as I continue to read Harry Potter. Interesting. What about you? I think I'm, I have kind of a chicken the egg question for myself of, is Harry Potter something that normalizes violence because of the use of so many violent spells in ways that aren't really unforgivable throughout mm-hmm. the series? Or is it a representation of the normalization of violence that exists in our society already? Mm-hmm. Because certainly when I was reading this as a, as a teenager, I wasn't thinking about these things in terms of violence you know, I was very much party line, just killing is violence. These unforgivable curses, they are violent. But a love potion, those aren't violent in the same way. You know, Septim Semper is violent and, and messed up, but it was against Draco. So, you know, it's not that bad. It sounded like Draco was going to use Crucio, so <laughs> yeah. it was warranted. Precisely. Yeah. And definitely thinking about it now and, and trying to be more critical of the society I live in and, and all the media that we engage with. Uh, yeah, it just makes me wonder about that not in a way that i think that any answer would necessarily determine the worth of the series but in a way that just uh continues to evaluate my own views and our social views on violence and how media engages with those issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is really interesting because there's been times where yeah i'm just sitting here thinking about that's terrible that they used these dragons as a part of the Triwizard Tournament. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting. There was a line when Harry first sees them in, you know, near the Forbidden Forest. And the Horntail is really upset and it's breathing fire and they're having a hard time subduing it and all of these things. And it said, like, its eyes bulged with either fear or rage. Mm -hmm. Harry wasn't sure which. So I, I feel like sometimes... Maybe there are things in there that just unhoused their phrase that as a kid I wasn't analyzing. But now I'm like, oh, well, clearly it's not just being like, oh, it was just rage, you know. But it was like, what does it mean if it's terrified? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we've come to the end of this lengthy episode, (laughs) what will we be discussing when we return to Lord of the Rings next week? So next week, we are going to be talking about the theme of personhood. Great. Personhood and Lord of the Rings. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. 
You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. And our show notes that'll have that fan art that I talked about. Yeah. Which is really cool and you really should look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!